Yeah, just a little introduction to our series that we begin tonight called Chain Breaker, and it's actually singular, not plural, and that's because really there's only one who can break the chains, and that's the Lord Jesus. And so uh, we'll talk about multiple chains, but we're, there's only one breaker, and his name is the Lord. Tonight, the chain is a spirit or attitude that I believe is found in every home on earth. I don't think there's a single home that's unaffected by this chain. Sometimes it's revealed in sweaty palms. Sometimes it's revealed by a knot in the stomach or a lump in the throat or heart palpitations. If it's strong enough, the shock of it can actually cause you to, uh, for the, bl- the blood to cut off from the brain and you to faint. It can actually be fatal to the cardiovascular system. What is this silent, unseen, deadly enemy? Fear. Fear. FDR had a famous quote on fear. He said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. The only problem is that's not true. Listen, friend, as long as there are are spiders, there'll be reason to fear. (laughs) All right? I mean, as long as there's terrorists, murderers, weapons of mass destruction, there's going to be reason and good cause to fear. But not all fear is bad. In fact, some fear is good and can actually be godly. Jesus once said that we should fear in Luke 12, 4 and 5. He says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear can be good. Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? Fear the Lord. That's where it starts. You know, I've shared with you that some of the most, some of the most intellectual people I know, God calls fools. Because the fool has said in his heart, there's what? No God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so sometimes the person with the third, edu- third grade education is the wisest person in the room. And sometimes the person with the PhD is the least wise in the room. It just matters whether or not you have a relationship with the Lord God. When we think about fear tonight, though, we're talking about fear that's destructive. It tends to feed the doubts and crush the faith. It's kind of like the, it's the fear that Peter had on the Sea of Galilee. You remember he gets out of the boat and starts walking towards the Lord and he takes his eyes off of the Lord and puts his eyes on the circumstances and what happens? He begins to sink. That's the kind of faith we're talking about when we take our eyes off the Lord and put them on something that's going on around us and we find ourselves sinking. So tonight the title is Breaking the Chain of Fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It's a simple verse tonight. We'll, we'll refer to a few of the verses around it, so once you find that, go ahead and keep your Bible open tonight, but there'll be other scriptures as well that we'll make reference to. 2 Timothy 1, 7. invite you to stand for the reading of this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God, I pray tonight that you would break the chain of fear. Uh, If it's evident in anyone's life, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal it to them and that they would see that through you, that that spirit is not from you, and that they would understand you have the ability to break that chain. 
May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, at this point, is the pastor at the church at Ephesus. All right? So he's pastoring at Ephesus, and evidently something has gone on in his life that's caused him to be a little bit fearful, a little bit timid. I think he was kind of a, a timid, fearful person anyway, and we'll see another scripture that kind of lends itself to that, but, but we don't know what it was. Maybe it was a fear of people. Maybe it was a fear of failure. Maybe it was a fear of speaking, uh, but maybe it had conflict in the church, but something caused him to be afraid. Now, I told you we're going to refer to the other verses. Look at the verse right before verse 7. Look at verse 6. What's the first word? What's the first word of verse 6? Therefore, and when you see the word therefore, you ask what's it there for, right? And so, so Paul is, is saying, in essence, when he says therefore in verse 6, he's talking about because of what I've just said in the first five verses of this book, all right? And so what is it that he tells Timothy that is significant? Well, the first two verses are simply a greeting. But look at verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Now here it is. Uh, Without ceasing, I remember you in prayers night and day. So he reminds Timothy, he says, listen, I'm praying for you every day, every night. Then you drop down to verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. And so he says, therefore, because of the fact that I am praying for you day and night, and because of the fact I am convinced you have genuine faith, just like your mother and your grandmother before you, because of those things, he says, you don't have to be afraid. He says, um, he says there in verse 6, to, to, um, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Um, this, is, this stir up is a picture of stoking the fire in a fireplace. You know, sometimes it starts to dwindle and you take the poker and, and you move the wood around and you poke it a few times and what typically happens is the fire blossoms again. And so, so that's what he's talking about, reigniting the fire. And I think at times we all need to reignite the use of our spiritual gifts. There are times we get just a little bit lax and, and maybe we start to coast and we're not using our gifts the way that we should. And so, and, and listen, like a fire... The, harder, or the longer you let it go like that, the harder it is to rekindle, right? The longer you let a fire dwindle, the harder it's going to be to rekindle it just by poking it around. And that's why Paul reminds him to stir up the gift, the spiritual gift that he has. And so let's talk about fear tonight in this verse. First of all, the first couple points are going to kind of be about fear in general. And then the third point, we're going to actually look at our text and break down what Paul says the remedy is. The first thing is the phenomenon of fear. Fear's not always a figment of our imagination. Fear is real. The Greek word that's translated fear is, here's the word phobos. Sounds like what? Phobia. It's the word we get our word phobia for. Now, phobia is more than just fear. I was reading today that there, there are over 500 identified phobias. That was one of the sites I said, read, and another one said over 700 different types of phobias. But a phobia is defined this way. An intense, irrational, exaggerated, and overwhelming fear to something that presents no real threat to you in your current situation. So a phobia is this overwhelming fear. It's not just fear, but I mean, it, it just 
it grabs hold of you. And really, it's not any threat to you in your current situation, but in your mind, it is. So I, I looked at this list, the top 100 phobias, all right? Now, I, I was glad to read the first two because that tells me I'm normal. Well, sort of normal. The, the, the number one fear is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Now, I was kind of disturbed by the fact that it says 48% of women and only 12% of men fall into that category. <laughs> that, that bothered me just a little bit, but, but that's the number one. Now, some of these, I don't know if I'm going to say them right, but ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes, is number two. Can I get a witness? Acrophobia, the fear of heights, is number three. Astrophobia, the fear of lightning or thunder, is number six. Electorophobia, now this is, this is with a K, not with a C. Electorophobia, number 17 on the list, is the fear of chickens. I'm thinking Don Mathis right here. The fear of chickens, you know he won't eat chicken. Number 56 was catsaridophobia, the fear of roaches. Number 88, coolrophobia, the fear of clowns. And number 98 kind of drew my attention, kinemortophobia, the fear of zombies. You remember what I said about it's an exaggerated fear that is no threat to you in your current situation? That, that's an example. Okay, um, by the way, if, if the zombie apocalypse happens, those of you who haven't watched The Living Dead, don't come to me and ask me to save you, okay? You got to know how to kill zombies yourselves. Not, I'm not going to help you, all right? Fear, fear is universal. Now, we may not all have phobias, but we do all have everyday fears. There are things that give us, uh, that, that give us fear. Exams, your student. Interest rates, if maybe you're a businessman or an investor, war, cancer, whatever it is, fear is a fact of life, the phenomenon of fear. Secondly, let's talk about the, the problem of fear. Fear is a powerful human emotion, and it's a problem. Let me tell you why it's a problem, because it does several things in our life. First of all, fear dominates us. Fear dominates us, and, and it, it can, by that I mean it consumes us. And it's not just the everyday Joe. I mean, people who, are, people who are famous, people who are rich, okay, they have fears. I was amazed today to read the, 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 the very popular Howie Mandel. Some of you probably know this if you've seen him on whatever the talent show is that he's on. He's a germaphobe. He doesn't like to shake hands. He, he won't shake hands with people typically because he's, a, he's afraid of getting germs, um, Jennifer Aniston has the fear of flying. Now, this one, was, this one amazed me. Billy Bob Thornton has the fear of antique furniture. Here's a quote from him. I get creeped out, and I can't breathe, and I can't eat around it. I've had friends tell me that maybe I was beaten to death with an antique chair in a former life. The lady that plays Buffy the Vampire Slayer is afraid of cemeteries. She refused to actually film in a real cemetery. They always had to have an artificial one when the... Shows were being made. Not just the, the popular, though. Fear is something that dominates the powerful. Joseph Stalin was so afraid of being murdered, he had eight bedrooms that all locked like a safe, and nobody knew from night to night which bedroom he'd be staying in. Because 
he was afraid. He was afraid that somebody would come in in the middle of the night and kill him. Um, Peter the, the Great, Russia's greatest czar, had a, had a, he was terrified of crossing bridges. Julius Caesar suffered from astrophobia, the fear of thunder. Here's this great powerful man, and they said that when it would thunder, he'd almost fall to pieces. He was so scared. It dominates the popular, the powerful. It dominates those who have a strong walk with the Lord. I think Timothy had a strong walk with the Lord, and evidently fear was dominating his life. I told you I thought that he was naturally timid. Here's what 2 Corinthians 16.10 says. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. And so I think Timothy had this natural tendency towards being fearful. And it became an issue in his life. It dominated. The second thing fear does, the problem is it defeats. The world is full of people who are defeated and neutralized by fears. Probably some of you in here are, are, are at the place where, where fear has neutralized you in an area of your life. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives the parable of, it's called the parable of the talents. A, a wealthy man brings in three of his uh, servants, and he's going to go on a journey for a long time, and he gives each one a different amount. One gets five talents, one gets two talents, and one gets one talent. And, and he tells them that he'll collect back from them when he gets back. And so after a long time, he comes back, and the man who had five talents is, has doubled it to ten, and he gives his owner ten. The man who had two talents has doubled it to four and gives him four. But the man who had one talent only returned that single talent. Jesus says he had buried it in the dirt. When Jesus tells the story, he says the, the man asked his servant why he only had the one talent. And here's what the scripture says in verses 24 and 25. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you, you have what is yours. In the parable of the talents, did, did Jesus say the man was very satisfied with this servant? No, not at all. He was clearly defeated by his fear. It defeats. Let me tell you the third thing. Fear devours. People of faith are not exempt from violence. I mean, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're exempt from violence. Murderers don't give, give the godly a pass. You remember just last November 5th, right? It was a Sunday. Devin Patrick Kelly, 26 years old, walked into the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas. Had no intention of good, only intention of evil. By the time he was done shooting, 26 people in that church were dead and another 20 were wounded. No one would have ever found fate, fault in that church had they never reopened the doors. Six months to the day, May the 5th, 2018, they, began break, they broke ground on a new sanctuary. They're going to keep the old one as a memorial to those who died and they broke ground on the new place. Uh, they're not going to give in to fear. Fear devours. Fear also disables. It can consume a person to where they're disabled, where, where instead of doing something, they just do nothing. They're so afraid. I read about this farmer. This man walked up to the farmer, and the farmer was sitting out on his porch smoking his pipe, and he asked him, he said, he said, tell me how your corn is. And he said, well, I don't have any corn. He said, why not? 
And he said, well, I was afraid of the drought, so I didn't plant any. Man said, oh, okay, so tell me how your cotton is. And he said, well, I'm afraid I don't have any cotton either. Why not? Well, well, because I was afraid of the boll weevils, and so I didn't plant any cotton. Well, tell me about your potatoes. How are your potatoes? And he said, I don't have any potatoes either. He said, why not? Because I was afraid of the potato bugs. And he said, so then tell me, what did you plant then? And the farmer said, nothing. I just played it safe. Can I tell you that that's the way some Christians I know are? They're, they're so disabled by fear, they just want to play it safe. Never accomplishing anything. They're dominated, devoured, disabled, defeated. Romans 8.13 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See, fear puts you in bondage, and instead of having bondage, we have, um, we have the ability to call out to the Lord God. And Abba, Father is an intimate way of, of calling out. It's like a child calling out to their daddy. That's, in other words, we have an intimate relationship we can go straight to the, the Lord God with. Dr. Gardner Taylor was a longtime pastor of the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, New York. Um, he, he's with the Lord now, but he, but he tells of when he was a young man, he was preaching in a church in Louisiana during the Depression. It was a rural church, and they had one light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And that illuminated the entire sanctuary. That was all they had. Electricity was just making its way to, to that part of the country, and so this light bulb was all they had. And he said he was right in the middle of his sermon, and the electricity that they had went out. said it went pitch black in the auditorium, couldn't see anything. He kind of stammered and stuttered, not really knowing what to do. And finally, he said an elderly deacon hollered out to him, Preach on, preacher, we can still see Jesus in the dark. Friend, it may be dark with you, and you may be fearful tonight of something, but you can still see Jesus in the dark. And listen, even if you can't see him, the good news is he sees you. He knows, he knows where you are, and he knows what's going on in your life. So let's talk thirdly about a pause from fear. How do we get past or live past fear? Paul tells us there in verse 7, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What kind of power has God given to us? Acts 1.8. Right before his ascension, the Lord says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now the word power there is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, comes to reside in you, it happened for them at Pentecost, it happens for us at salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you have dynamite power. The choir sang just a few weeks ago um, a song by Jeremy Camp called Same Power. And I was thinking about the words to that song as I was thinking about uh, Paul saying that we have power here. Listen to the words to the song the choir sang. I can see waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power... That rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us. 
The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. Greater is he that is in me. He's conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails. We stand here in victory. Greater is he that is living in me. He's conquered our enemy. Freeman, that's the power that we have. The, the exact same power that said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came out after four days in the tomb is the power that lives in you and me. The same power that said to the Sea of Galilee, peace be still, and boom, just like that, the sea, the raging sea became a sea of glass. The wind ceased. The same power that told the, the demoniac, listen, told the demons and the demoniac to, to come out of him, and they obeyed, is the power that lives in us. God has given us not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We know that verse, but do we really know it? We know it here, but I mean, do we really believe it here? Because if, if we believe it here, that deals with our fears. We realize, man, I don't really have to be fearful of much because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Those who fear God, listen to me, those who fear God are able to fear no man. If you fear God, you don't have to fear man. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Now, it seems to me that we've raised a generation that has no fear of God. They just don't seem to. And, and when we talk about fearing God, we're not talking about quaking in your boots, that kind of fear. You know, your teeth chattering. We're talking, when, when the Bible talks about fearing God, it's talking about having a, a holy reverence. And being in awe of who the Lord God is. That's what it means to fear God. That we are in awe of who he is. And the fact that he desires a relationship with us. Now, how do you know if you fear God? How can you know tonight? right there where you're seat, seated if you fear God. You can know by the choices you make. By the choices you make, all right? For instance, if you are, I am faithful to my spouse, why? Because I have a holy fear of God and I have a commitment to her. I, I, am, a, I am a good, hardworking, honest employee, why? Because I have a, I have a healthy fear of God and a responsibility as a pastor. Listen, I've remained, in 28 years, I have remained faithful to God's call in my life really for, for two reasons, just two, all right? Because there have been many times when the devil's whispered in my ear, you know what, you don't have to take this anymore. Just get up, walk out, go do something else. It's been tempting a time or two, I'll just be honest. Why haven't I done it? One is because I have a fear of God, and two, because I have the call of God. It's the only reason I'm continuing to do what I do today. Now, this isn't just true of every pastor. It's true of every person in the church who uses their spiritual giftedness. The reason you use your spiritual gifts in the church is because you have a, a, a holy fear of God. You are in awe of the fact that God would trust you with that spiritual gift, and now he wants you to use it to bring him glory. We don't just have a spirit of power, though. He says we have a spirit of love. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love. 
1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect fear, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. In essence, these verses say that we don't have to fear. Why? Because God loves us. Zig Ziglar, the motivational speaker, used to, he used to say that fear, this is what it stood for. False evidence that appears real. Now that's good. If you want to remember what fear means, it's false evidence that appears real. When you're afraid of something, it's, you don't have to be. Unholy fear says to God, God, I'm not sure you love me and want the best for me. That's what unholy fear says. Unholy fear says to God, God, I'm not sure I can trust you with this situation in my life. That's what unholy fear of God. Fear and trust can't reside in the same heart at the same time. Do you believe that? You can't be fearful and trusting at the same time in the same heart. You won't find fear in a trusting heart, and you won't find trust in a fearful heart. Because they're, they're opposites. In Matthew 14, the disciples find themselves on the Sea of Galilee in the storm and know Jesus in the boat. He comes walking to them on the water, and, he, and, and they're, they're like, it's a ghost. I would have, you know, I'd have been saying that too. But in verse 27, Jesus calls out to them. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Listen, friend. Jesus loves you. Do you believe that tonight? I mean, I know you know it here and you sing it. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves little children. We, we, we learn it early. But do you really believe he loves you? Because if you do, then you don't have to be afraid. He says, be of good cheer. It's I. Do not be afraid. Perfect love casts out fears. He's not given us a spirit of fear, it says in verse 7, but of power and of love and third of a sound mind this is the idea of being in your right mind it's the idea of thinking clearly about a situation when a crisis or difficulty arises and we all have them do we have the ability to think clearly see the devil will tie us up in knots when those crises come the lord will set us free when those crises come it just depends it, it, it's kind of like who you listen to who you listen to is the one that you're either going to be bound up or you're going to be set free. We need to stop letting Satan intimidate us with the spirit of fear. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hello. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist says, listen, if he is the strength of my life and nobody's stronger than him, then who do I have to be afraid of? That's what he's saying. That's, that's a sound mind. That's thinking clearly about a situation. Man walked up to his pastor and he said, I found a wonderful verse to claim. The pastor said, great, what verse is it? And he said, well, it's Psalm 56.3 pastor said, what's it say? And he, and he says, well, it says, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. The pastor said, you're right. That's a wonderful verse to claim, but I've got a better one for you. He said, what's that, pastor? And he said, Isaiah 12, 2. Isaiah 12, 2 says, I will trust and not be afraid. 
And he asked the man, he says, do you hear the difference? One says, when I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. The other one says, I will trust and not be afraid. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the past you need not fear for it is forgiven you. The present you need not fear, it is provided for. And the future you need not fear, it is secured by the living power of Jesus. Earlier this month, month, uh, the the eyes of the world were turned to Thailand. Did y'all follow that story at all? The 12 soccer players and the coach who had been exploring a cave and, and the cave system had become flooded and they were trapped and the only way they could get out was underwater and there was no way for them to do that and they had to be rescued and Um, It was an interesting story. They spent 18 days in that flooded cave system. Now, what you need to know about Thailand is 95% of the population is Buddhist. Only 1% of the population is Christian. Just one. One of the rescued players was a young man by the name of Aiden, A-D-U-N. He was sponsored by Compassion International, and he attended a Compassion International church, a Christian church. He's a Christian young man. On Sunday, July 22nd, Christians from all around Thailand gathered together at his church to celebrate what God had done in rescuing the boys and rescuing the coach. Most of the local authorities showed up, even though they were Buddhist. The rescue workers came, even though they were Buddhist. And Aiden shared his testimony that day in church. I want to read to you some of what he, what he said to the church that day. Now, this is a 12, I think he's, I think he's 12, 13 years old. He says, by the 10th night, we were losing patience, hope, physical energy, and courage. We could not do anything to help. The only thing that I could do was pray. He said, I prayed, Lord, I'm only a boy, and you are almighty God. You are holy, and you are powerful. Right now, I can't do anything. May you protect us. Come to help all 13 of us. He says, and then I finished my prayer thanking God for everything that had happened to myself and to my friends. Now, he's not talking about praying in the church. He's talking about praying in the cave. On day 10, eight more days in the cave, and he says, I thanked God for everything that happened to me and my friends, all 13 of us. Then he says, thank you to everybody who prayed for me and the whole team. Thank you to everybody that helped us. And the last thank you goes to the Lord. Thank you, God. God bless you all. That was his testimony. Now, when I, when I read that, I thought, now, where did that boy learn that? I can't prove it, but I am convinced that somebody taught him Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Because it sounds almost exactly like his prayer. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. Now, don't put the next screen up yet, Josh. Let your request be made known to God. So let's stop right here. What is it that Paul says? He says, don't worry about it. What? Don't worry about anything. With prayer, that's the general word of talking to God. In other words, bring it to God, and then supplication is a word that means specifically ask God for what it is you want him to do. So don't just talk to him, pray specifically about it, and then with thanksgiving. 
Listen, even though you may not be thankful for the circumstance you're in, you can be thankful for the fact that the Lord God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so with thanksgiving then, let your request be made known to God. And what happens? Verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what that little boy prayed. God, come help us. Thank you, God, for everything you've done for me and my friends. And for another eight days, he had peace. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book called Managing Your Emotions. He pastors the Moody Church in, Mo- in Chicago, Illinois. But he wrote a book called Managing Your Emotions. And in the book, he tells of a, a prison in British Columbia. It's closed now, but it, but it, it was open uh, back in the 1800s. And it was, as it was being dis- demolished, Lutzer says that the workers found out something that was very fascinating. The gates were solid steel, and the windows were barred with steel bars. But the outer walls were made of wood covered with clay and paper to make them appear as thick steel. And in essence, at any time... Anybody could have broken out or broken in through the walls because it was nothing but wood and clay and paper. But no prisoner ever tried escaping because they believed the walls were immovable. Why do I tell you that? Because tonight some of your fears look like impenetrable walls. You're thinking, man, there's just no way past this. But faith can cut through that wall like a hot knife through butter. I mean, it can just open it up. So I leave you tonight with two words. These words come from the one who demonstrated that he had power over demons, over death, disaster, disease, depravity. What are the two words I leave you with? Fear not. Fear not. Father, I thank you for the fact that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, the ability to think clearly, to assess clearly the reality of our situation. God, I don't know who this message was prepared for tonight, but you do. And so for those tonight who are fearful, I pray that tonight that they understand that they can be set free, that that chain in their life can be broken by you, the one who is the chain breaker, the way maker. God, I pray that you would set some folks free tonight. God, every one of us know people that are battling fears, people in our family, people that are friends, people maybe that are coworkers or students or teachers. And God, I pray that you would bring to remembrance this verse, that you would help us to remember Philippians 4, 6, and 7 so that we can share with others how they can be set free from the power of fear. God, have your way during this invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here tonight and you need to accept Christ as your Savior, this is the